What's up, y'all? Introducing Greg Dickerson. He's a serial entrepreneur, coach, and mentor. He is a real estate developer with over $250 million developed. He's done a lot of work here in the Outer Banks, so I thought I would put you in front of him and so you can hear a little bit more about him and get some insights from him as an industry uh, professional. Yeah, Hunter, thanks for having me. Yeah, so um, the tool in the truck story, do you want to kind of bring this guest through that or do you want them to reach out to your channel and hear the tool in the truck story? It's kind of a famous story on the internet at this point. Yeah, 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 Outer Banks as well. So yeah, I'll just give the quick high level. You know, I'm from Virginia Beach originally. That's where all my family's from. Um, I didn't go to high school. I mean, I didn't go to college. I went in the Navy right out of high school after I got out of the Navy. Um, I did restaurants and construction. I moved to the Outer Banks in 1997. Um, I was probably about 20, I think I was 29 years old. I'm 55 now, so 26 years ago, whatever that is. Um, so it was 1997. I moved there to, to you know, open a restaurant. I got into construction instead, and I started a little remodeling handyman company in 1997. I called it Outer Banks Construction. Nobody had that name. And, uh, you know, I took that name because, you know, it made me sound like I'd been there forever. And I started out doing just little whatever I could do, just me, my truck and tools. I'd replace a door lock. I'd replace a screen. I'd do just whatever. And then uh, I started hiring people. I did 250000 in sales my first year, started hiring people, growing the company. All we did was remodeling. Initially, I was the chairman of the remodeling council on the Outer Banks with the Home Builders Association. I was vice president of the Home Builders Association. So uh, anyways, I took that from a $250,000 little handyman company, built it into a $30 million building company in seven years, um, started 12 other companies along the way, mostly ancillary to the construction industry. I had a pool spa landscaping company that's still there, Caribbean pools and spas and Caribbean landscaping. Um, I had an electrical company, storm shutter company. I had lane service company. It was a plumbing company. They're still there. Um, and, you know, a few other things. And I don't know, it was probably before your time, but I also had a gymnastics cheerleading trampoline school that was called Gym Star that eventually, you know, it, uh, broke up and into different pieces, but, you know, uh, started that along the way as well. So yeah, that was during that seven year period, um, you know, did all those things and, you know, went from remodeling handyman to doing big remodels to building spec houses and then getting into development and doing commercial, you know, multifamily and, and uh, all that kind of stuff all up and down the Outer Banks and up into Virginia. Wow. Wow. So that right there summarizes why I thought you as the consumer should be in front of Mr. Greg Dickerson if you have not already heard of him, because he is everywhere on the Internet and he grew and cut his teeth a lot here in the Outer Banks. Um, so, yeah. So listening to the truck in the toolbox story, hearing that seven year trajectory as a contractor who lives here on the Outer Banks after eight years of being in business, I can say that you definitely must have a business acumen and a knack for it and it shows your track record because I mean I've been personally as an entrepreneur growing my construction business over the past seven years and I have not had the same results as you. <laughs> yeah it's a little different and you know and I started along the same way so I did remodeling handyman stuff and then I started trimming houses so you know I was working for other builders kind of like you were doing. Uh, yeah. I was doing interior trim and we do some other little things but then I started building spec houses because I wanted to get into you know, bigger projects, becoming a general contractor. And actually what started it for me, the first deal I did was actually a lot flip. I had a friend of mine that was a realtor and he came to me and, you know, he knew that I, I was busy and I had some money and he didn't have any money. And he said, hey, there's this lot over here. This was in Southern Shores. And he said, we can buy this lot. My dad's got a client. We can flip it to them and make, you know, 
however much money, I don't even remember now. And he said, you put up the money, I'll do everything else. I'm like, you can do that. I didn't even know you could do that. And he said, yeah, <laughs> but okay. So I think it was a hundred thousand dollars for the lot. And, um, you know, so I, I put up the money, we bought the lot 30 days later, he'd sold it and we made, you know, $15,000 each. And I thought that was the greatest thing since, you know, sliced bread. Yeah. So, you know, in order to get into construction and get into general contracting, I'd never built a house. So I didn't know what I was doing. You know, I had some little handyman skills, but I didn't know how to build a house. I had no clue. And to this day, I still can't frame a house. You know, I'm not a framer. You know, I was a yeah. trim carpenter and, you know, handyman kind of guy. So what I did was I said, okay, if I wanted to uh, build, you know, multi-million dollar beach houses, I need a team of people that has been there, done that. So what I did was I recruited some of the top people from at the time, the biggest builder in the area was a company called BDNA. They'd been there for, you know, 10 or 15 years before me, they were building all the multi-million dollar houses in Pine Island and Northern Outer Banks. So I recruited some of their top people to come to work with me and build Outer Banks Construction. So that's how we basically came from zero, you know, to a thousand, you know, overnight and started doing, you know, from a lot flip to a little, you know, three bedroom, two bath beach box, you know, spec house. I built a few of those. Then we started building, you know, some big houses. And then I did my first oceanfront deal where I bought an oceanfront hotel, tore it down sold the lots to an investor, built, you know, three of the largest houses ever built in Nagshead. They were wow. 12 bedroom houses um, in Nagshead. And then I did another 16 bedroom after that. Those are the four largest houses ever built in Nagshead. There'll never, never be any more because you can't do it anymore, you know, bigger than that from a bedroom standpoint. Um, and that kind of, and that's kind of what launched me. But, you know, back to your point, I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know how to do it. What I did was I educated myself. So again, I didn't go to college. I went in the Navy out of high school. I had uh, some retail training in the Navy and some business training in the Navy because I did retail in the Navy. And then after I got out, I worked in restaurants and I learned how to manage people, how to lead, delegate, motivate. But the biggest thing I did was I educated myself. I was constantly pouring into myself, constantly reading, you know, uh, books on tape, business stuff. You know, back in the day, it was, you know, cassette tapes, the Sony Walkman cassette tapes. Then there was the, you know, CD Walkmans. And uh, then there was the 80 gig iPod. That was the first iPod that came out. And I've got, I still have it. And it, all that was loaded with books, you know, so I never, you know, put oh. music on there. Even my phone today has no music on it. It's all, you know, books. I still continue to, you know, educate yeah. myself, business stuff, personal development, professional development, motivational stuff. But, you know, to answer your question specifically, the first book that I read that really made the difference for me was Rich Dad, Poor Dad. So yeah. I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And, you know, a lot of people get real estate out of that book. What I got out of the book was I wanted to be Rich Dad. I wanted to be I wanted to build businesses that generated cash flow to invest in other assets. So all that 250, you know, 250 million I did, that was just me, my own money, no investors. You know, I went to the bank myself. I used cash flow from the businesses that I had to put the down payments on the properties. I borrowed the rest from banks and I just scaled from there. And what wow. I would do is I would go in and I would tie up the land. What I learned from that lot flip was the money's in the dirt. So I'd go mm -hmm. tie up the land and I would flip the land to investors. Then I would build them a house. So if they wanted a beach house, the only way they could get it was they had to buy the land for me and they had to build the house with me. So that wow. was part of the deal. So that's how I kind of launched and scaled from there and, you know, started doing oceanfront hotels where I tore them down and, and built them up. And, you know, I did a few houses on Hatteras Island, not too many, but I did, I don't know, six or eight oceanfronts down there. And I had them all, several of them in process when Hurricane Isabel hit and tore those things up. And yeah. really, you know, the whole ground floors were filled with sand, but you know, that's kind of that's kind of my journey. And, and the cool thing about the Outer Banks and being a spec builder down there, as opposed to anywhere else, is you have multiple exits. So if you yeah. build a house for sale, a spec house is you're speculating you're going to sell the house when it's done. And it's still a custom home. You're building it custom. But 
you know, in the Outer Banks, it's a short-term rental market. You know, this was all back before Airbnb and VRBO and all that was even a thing when I started. Um, you know, we'd build the houses, you'd furnish them, and you'd put them in the short-term rental program. And usually a year later, they would sell. Usually took yep. about a year. People wanted to see a full season track record of rents before they would buy a brand new house because they could buy, you know, an existing house that already had proven income. So back in the day, it used to be a big issue if you didn't have a full year's worth of income as a track record because people didn't know what kind of rent it would do. Yeah. And, you know, the interesting thing about the Outer Banks going back to 97, we saw rents increase about 10% every single year, year after year. Rents kept going wow. up 10%. Even in 2009, the biggest financial crisis we ever saw, the biggest recession, you know, to hit the United States uh, before the pandemic was was yeah. 2009. And even then, people still took the vacations. They still came. They still rented. You know, we saw about a 10 percent dip in occupancies, but the market still did well. Then after that, it's been uphill ever since. So it, it's basically a guaranteed income market. And um you know, like I said, as far as the types of the properties that short-term rentals represent, you know, as a, as a builder and a speculator and a developer, you have multiple exits, right? So if you build a house and, uh, you, you know, it doesn't sell where well, you've got rental income coming in the short-term rental market, or you can put it in a midterm market, or you can build them and rent them year round. You know, a lot of different people were using a lot of different strategies, you know, like that. Mine was all short-term rental because there's no evictions, no collections, no vacancies, Right. I mean, yeah. the houses are somewhat vacant, you know, in the off season, but you're going to do 28 to 30 weeks of rents and you don't have to worry about anything. They pay in advance. They book in advance. You don't have to hassle with tenants. I used, you know, management companies to manage all my properties. So I didn't have to really deal with them, you know, that kind of thing. So it was a really good turnkey business. And as a builder, it's kind of a no-lose situation. Because again, if you don't sell the house, you know, uh, which they all sell eventually, but, you know, we did see a problem after 2009 where, it was difficult and some properties weren't selling, especially big ones. But I just pivoted and started building little beach boxes again. And, uh, you know, and then now we've seen since the pandemic, the market's just been on fire. Yeah. So a lot of um, educators in the space are kind of talking down to single family investing. I mean, but in the Outer Banks, I kind of get the impression that our vacation home is not necessarily a single family home as it would be classically defined because of the way the income is structured. Can you speak to that a little bit for our consumer? Well, I mean, it still is a single family home. So, yeah. you know, residential, you know, residential is single family detached and single family attached, you know, so anything up to four units is residential, whether it's a fourplex, duplex, triplex, or a single family home. So it is still single family. You get into commercial when you're over five units, commercial multifamily mm -hmm. is more than five units. So, you know, I think what you're referring to is there's a big, you know, uh, you know, big momentum for syndicating big multifamily deals and things like that, which, you know, those yeah. are, those are good too. It's just a matter of scale. Um, mm -hmm. You know, as far as short-term rentals, I mean, that's a very popular business model. It has been, it's under a little pressure this year for two reasons. <clears throat> you know, one, the world is open. So everybody's traveling that were you know, locked down from the pandemic and weren't able to travel abroad. So you're having a lot more international travel now versus within the country. Airbnb just exploded, you know, during the pandemic. Um, you know, but the areas that already always were and always are, you know, rental vacation destination areas are doing well. And the interesting yeah. thing about the Outer Banks this year is what I've heard, and I still track things down there, properties, and I track the market and all that. Um, and I mean, I was still doing spec houses up until, you know, the pandemic. I sold my last houses right before the pandemic and uh -huh. um, haven't done any since, kind of waiting for the market to shift a little bit before I do more there. But, um, you know, the interesting thing is, even though, 
you know, the Airbnb market is under pressure in certain areas, like they would just go in any neighborhood in Virginia Beach and just rent a house out. And, you know, those types of things are struggling. You need to be in resort destination areas or vacation destination areas or, you know, areas of interest where people want to go and travel. Um, but I've, you know, what I've seen this year is that, you know, even though bookings are down on the Outer Banks for Airbnb right now uh, in the rental market as a whole, the uh, revenues are up and the rents are up. So, mm. you know, there are vacancies, but people are still making more money, you know, uh, each week per rent and uh, overall. So it's kind of an interesting thing that's happening right now. Yeah. The um, So with with that, when I say single family, I'm, I'm with you, I'm following you, but I think, um, you know, like what you're saying, the movement with the larger syndication and the multifamily, I, I see that if you're managing a beach house yourself um, and a lot of these smaller level house flippers and stuff like that, you can, as a newer entrepreneur or newer real estate investor, you can pretty much with, I don't know, uh, you could pretty much purchase a beach house and serve your debt and cash flow out of the gate with it being property managed by a different company that's local. Yeah. So, I mean, as, as an investment, it's a pretty sound investment. I think it's kind of a duty of mine to educate a way younger consumer, because like you said, you moved here in 97, when you were 29, I moved here in 2012 when I was 18, fresh out of high school and uh, started my journey through the traditional Outer Banks, local entrepreneur, cutting grass, cleaning pools, construction, general contractor, some short-term rentals and real estate. And as I've edged more into the real estate market, I've kind of broadened my horizons and really feel a calling to kind of echo that out to other entrepreneurs, both local and in our general region as an investment class. Yeah, yeah. It's a great investment. And, you know, for years before the cash flows really took off, it used to be, like you said, it was something that people and it was mostly older people, they'd put 20% down, the house would break even or cover, you know, would cover itself, break even, maybe make a little money. And the yeah. idea was it would pay itself off. And then they would either move down, you know, to be a retirement home, or it was a college fund, because the house would pay itself off, and they would use it, uh, the income stream to pay for college for their kids, and then they own that asset. And then, yeah. you know, as the rents went up, and the years started going, and the interest rates went down, because back when I was doing it, I mean, when my I was paying nine, 10% interest, when I was building these houses, you know, back in the day. Um, and even right before the pandemic, interest rates were still in the five to 7% range. So they went down really, really low during the pandemic. And I saw a lot of young people going down there buying houses because, you know, a lot of younger people were entering the short-term rental market because uh, the interest rates were so low, man. These things were just throwing off cash like crazy. Still yeah. not too bad because you can get interest only. But yeah, it's a great investment from that standpoint. Sometimes they do cash flow really well, depending on the rate and what you're paying. Um, yeah. You know, they also have tax benefits. So you can use a turnkey third party management company. The Outer Banks has professional property managers that handle everything for you. If you want to do Airbnb or VRBO or do your own direct booking, which I always recommend people get away from Airbnb and VRBO, do direct booking. You know, right. and there's tools out there to help you do that. So you own the rentals because if you sell an Airbnb or VRBO, those previous rents, you know, renters and stuff don't go with the property. It's, you know, That's it's right. really weird how they do it. Yeah. versus, you know, the, the traditional, but um, there's really good tax benefits, you know, for average investors like high income earners, you know, that are W-2 employees or whatever, even people with capital gains, you can offset that tax burden uh, through the short-term rental loophole 
uh, from a tax standpoint, if you manage it yourself and, you know, operate it yourself a, a little bit, you know, in order to qualify. So you don't have to qualify as a real estate professional status, um, you know, and take advantage of cost segregation and depreciation and stuff. So there's some really good tax benefits for it as well. Correct. Um, so when you were around the Outer Banks in between 97 and 2011, um, was there a lot of remote investors? We're, we're seeing more of that. I have two customers that I'm working with right now with my construction company that have never even visited here and I work on their homes um, and I'm planning to do a remodel on a guy in Ravanthi beachfront. He's never even set foot here. Oh yeah. So. Yeah. 80, probably 80 to 90% of the property owners, you know, may or may not ever visit, but um, everybody was, everybody's pretty much remote, you know, that owns them. The question is, do they come see the house? So I had yeah. several clients that, you know, I built multiple houses for that were investors that, you know, they like to come down and oversee the furnishing and all that. But yeah, I mean, I've built, you know, a number of houses that, you know, several of the owners never even actually saw because we would handle the furnishings for them and everything. And they yeah. would be rented and done before they could ever even get in them. And they may or may not come come visit them. But yeah, you know, most of the investors, well, all the investors that own the rental properties are remote. Most people don't live there. I mean, there's only, you know, what, 30, 40,000 year round residents on the Outer Banks. So I'd say yeah. 90% of the houses are, you know, owned by remote investors. But, you, you know, to your point, you know, do, do, you know, are there people that never even set foot in the house? Absolutely. Uh, yeah. And even me. So, you know, when I, when I was on the Outer Banks full time, you know, I was buying properties up in Wintergreen, you know, so when I took my kids skiing there and, you know, I had property up there and I bought, you know, a couple of properties up there sight unseen, you know, my first condo I bought up there, I never even saw it. I just saw it on the internet, saw the price. And I was like, ah, oh, what the heck? And I bought it, we renovated it and ended up doing really well up there over the years as well. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, that's what's cool about it. It's a proven market. You can go yeah. back from the history of time and look at the occupancies, look at the rents, look at the history of the Outer Banks. A lot of people worry about the storms, but you can mitigate that, you know, obviously by the right location. And I mean, I had, when Isabel hit, was the worst hurricane that ever hit the Outer Banks. It still is. Um, I think that was, oh, 2001-2, somewhere around there. I can't remember the, the time. But I had, one, two, three, I had about... 10 oceanfront houses going when Isabel hit. And, you know, some of them had zero damage or effect at all. And then the ones down in Hatteras, the entire ground floor, you know, filled up with sand and the pools were washed out and all that. So, you know, we had, we had to deal with those, you know, I was building a bunch in Merlo beach. I was building a bunch down in Hatteras landing. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, that those areas took a beat, beating, but houses were fine. Didn't get washed away. It was just a matter of, you know, an insurance issue and things like that. That was back when the bridge got washed out. You couldn't get to the Island. You know, it was a big, it was a big issue down there, you know, where it got cut off. So that's the biggest thing people worry about is hurricanes. Insurance is an issue, but, you know, and insurance is going up just because of all the hurricanes we had in the last few years. But just like any business, you're going to have expenses, you're going to have issues, you're going to have risks. Um, you know, but that's one of the biggest things in a lot of, you know, beach areas that kind of worry people these days is, is yeah. hurricanes. Yeah. So identifying those risks, we have storms. Uh, one of those risks that I hear a lot from the consumer here you know, talking to people here in the Outer Banks is we can't find um, cleaners. We cannot find, um, you know, pool cleaners, house cleaners, um, handymen. Um, can you kind of speak to that? Because you as a general contractor and developer, you know a lot about leading and motivating people. Can you kind of speak to how from the consumer level um, as an investment class in the Outer Banks, how they can mitigate that? Yeah. So there's good people there. You just got to find them. So you got to connect okay. with people there that have those resources. There's companies there that serve, if you're going to do Airbnb, you know, that serve Airbnb owners. 
But yeah, labor is yeah. a problem everywhere. I mean, the workforce is a problem everywhere in any business. So it's just yeah. like anything else. Uh, but they're there, you know, and you need somebody like you that, you know, that's there on the Outer Banks full time that can connect people and, and help them with those things. The way I solved it, labor was a problem when I was there. And the yeah. way I solved it was, you know, that's the reason I did some of those companies that I did because I couldn't get like a plumber. So this yeah. guy was doing plumbing for me and I was having trouble getting a plumber. And, you know, he was about to go out of business and it was just him. And he had two trucks, him and a helper. And uh, I said, look, you know, how about I buy your company? We grow and scale it. That way I can have you when I need you. And then we can do work for other people. And he said, okay. And there was another plumber that was going out of business. So I bought his company, paid off all his debts, bought eight trucks, hired all these people that were coming from this other company. We were instantly yeah. the largest plumbing company on the Outer Banks overnight, you know, and took him from so doing. For young entrepreneurs out there, listen to what Mr. Dickerson is saying here. He's saying, you know, if you have ever been in a, you know, we grew up in the South, there's general scuttlebutt. How are you doing? How's business? Oh, I got more work than I can handle. That's an opportunity. So rather than saying I have more work than I can handle, find ways to fill that problem and solve that problem and create a solution to it rather than, you know, just not picking up the phone or, you know, leaving a full voicemail inbox. That's the one I love here on the Outer Banks is a full voicemail inbox. Uh, Oh, yeah. And that's the way it was. So that's how I started in business. So where there's where there's a problem, there's an opportunity. So when I moved yeah. there, I bought a little house in Nags Head and uh, it was right next to Kelly's. It's, it, was, it was Nags Head Pond area. There was only two or three houses in the development at the time. So I bought the house and I was trying to get work done on it. And, you know, I wanted to get some landscaping done. I wanted to be at one point trying to build an addition. Nobody would call you back. It was yeah. like the most amazing thing. I, I was like, yeah. what the heck is going on? Nobody yeah. would call you back for anything. So I was talking <laughs> to my neighbors about it. And they're like, oh, yeah, man, everybody's so busy. And this was just before the boom. They're like, they're so busy. They don't answer the phone. They don't answer their voicemails. They just pick up the phone after they're done. And they go to the next job. Yeah. And I was like, dang. I'm like, well, I've got some skills. I said, you know, I said, maybe there's a there's an opportunity here because that's a problem. And my neighbor told me two things. He said, number one, if you just call people back and number two, do what you say you're going to do, you'll be successful. So exactly. uh, it was funny when I started my company, Outer Banks Construction, I went and got that name and I filed it at Dare County. And uh, it's probably still there. You know, when I filed it, I sold that company, but the name is probably still where I registered it, you know, on file there. Um, on my first business card, my tagline was, we will call you back. <laughs> <laughs> and it was so funny because it was such a cliche joke on the Outer Banks, you know, it was amazing, yeah. you know, and so that's still a thing now. So anyways, that's how I, that's how I grew so fast. So the, what I did was, um, you know, I'm on it, man. I'm Mr. Mr. You know, on it. I don't miss a thing. I return every phone call. I don't miss a message. I don't miss anything. And so what I did was I carried a notepad with me of invoices, you know, just paper invoices. This was back before computers. I didn't even have a computer. I was yeah. doing all my books by hand. I was doing invoices and estimates by hand. So people would call me. I would start up north. I would go south and I would stop in. And I'd give you an estimate right there on the spot. And if you wanted me, you had to give me a deposit, you know, so I'd write it up. I'd give you the estimate and say, here it is. If you want me to do the work, you got to give me a deposit because I'm going to the next job, right? At the next neighborhood down. Yeah. And I would just kind of do that. And then the next person I hired was a part-time bookkeeper office manager. And then she became my dispatch. So I had her doing the books. I bought a computer and she started doing all that. And she would dispatch me north to south. And I would just go on sales calls all day long, you know, after I had a crew, you know, obviously I was doing everything mm -hmm. myself initially. And then I hired some people. And I, they started doing the work and I had a couple of crews and then all I did was just sell. And again, yeah. I would go from North to South doing nothing but giving estimates. And if you wanted me, you had to, you had to sign and put a deposit up so that we would get you in the schedule. So, I mean, that's how I scaled was by answering the phone, 
um, taking care of people, putting myself in a position of strength, which was sales. That was my strength, doing the sales and estimating. And then I hired good people that knew how to do the work. Um, and initially, it was all in-house. I had at one point, I had 20 full-time tradesmen, carpenters, you know, working for me and all that. And then I had the plumbing company and these other things. And then eventually, when I started building houses, I turned them all into subs. And then I started using subs for everything. And then I just managed the subs. <clears throat> and most of what I did was, you know, spec homes for myself, for my investors, very few custom homes for people. Most everything was for investors where they were building multiple houses. So, yeah. you know, for you, that's the fastest way to scale. Find some investors that, you know, understand what's going on, what you're doing, and just, you know, build houses for them and then build houses with them. And that's kind of how hey. I scaled. Exactly. And that's why Invest OBX came to fruition. I think with the advent of AI and as the internet and marketing digital continues to evolve, I want to position myself to solve that issue the same way you did in 97. I want to be coming into the digital age and solving that issue here in the Outer Banks. I don't want to hear that. If you're a potential investor in the Outer Banks, if you're serious about investing in, you know, Northeastern North Carolina as a whole, you can reach out to me or Greg Dickerson for any information because we really do this. We are feet on the ground here and we're different generations of this. But, um, you know, I, I just don't like when I hear that. So Invest OBX kind of started in that where it's like, I think there's a disconnect between the consumer and the professional here, whether it be something as simple as a pool cleaner or something as complex as a general contractor to develop you attractive homes in Kitty Hall, you know? Yeah. So I just want to bridge that gap for the consumer. And we had all that. And I also had a real estate license. I'm still licensed real estate broker in North Carolina and Virginia. And, you know, I, I got my real estate license early on after I paid uh, my top realtor 300 grand one year. I was like, that's it. Uh, you know, in commissions, wow. I'm getting my license. So I got my license. My first deal right out of the gate was an oceanfront lot. And I was yeah. buying this oceanfront hotel in Naxhead called the Sea Spray. Had six oceanfront lots and two across the street. And, um, you know, I had my sign up. I bought it. I was getting ready to tear it down and all that. That's a whole nother story. That turned into a big lawsuit because the sellers tried to back out on me before, yeah. you know, and sell it to somebody else for more money. And I sued them and we won. It took two years. But anyways, I put my wow. signs up, you know, and uh, the neighbor next door called me and said, hey, I see you're buying the hotel next door. I have a lot. It was a lot between his house and the hotel. He said, you know, I'll sell you my lot. And uh, I think at the time I was paying $600,000 for each of the oceanfront lots. And I told him, I said, sure, I'll buy it. I said, I, you know, I'm paying 600000 over here. I can give you 600000 for your lot. And he said, well, he said, you know, I want 800000 And I was like, well, the market's not there yet. And this was back in probably 2001. Yeah, 2000, 2001. The market wasn't quite there yet. Yeah. And I said, well, I said, I can't give you that. I said, but I just got my broker's license. I can list it for you. And if we get a buyer, uh, you know, great. And he said, okay. So I listed it like eight something, 820, I think it was. And uh, within 30 days, we had, a, we had a contract and we had it sold. And at the time, it was the highest oceanfront lot that ever sold in Nagshead. So I had the record for oh. the highest, you know, closed oceanfront lot in Nagshead. Of course, they ultimately, you know, went up to a million, million two. But you know, this was before all of that. And yeah. Uh, yeah, so that was my first deal as a broker. My commission was $30,000. And wow. uh, man, you would have thought the light bulb went off there, but it didn't. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I didn't really spend much time on the real estate side. It was mostly for what I was buying and selling myself. So I could kind of save on some of those commissions. But, you know, that that really is a valuable thing to have, you know, down there as well. But the thing about the Outer Banks, so here's what's cool about that. So what what also was going on around the country, Airbnb, you know, VRBO has become a really popular thing all around the country. Um, there's a lot of communities like in Texas and other areas that are now banning short-term rentals. They've done it in New York. 
you know, things like that, the hotel industry's lobbying. So the, what's cool about the Outer Banks is that's what it is. That's what it's always been. And that's what it will always be. You yeah. never face any issues with any yeah. bans on short-term rentals. Now, yeah. you know, there might be some neighborhoods that have some covenants and restrictions on certain things like Martin's Point or something like that. But, yeah. um, but for the most part, that area, that's what it is. It's a summer vacation destination. That's what it's always been. And that's never going to change. So you don't have to worry about being down-regulated or anything like that. You know, it's, um, it is a tourist, you know, vacation destination. The cities and the counties spend money advertising sure. and bringing people there versus trying to stop them and push them out. Even in Charlottesville, where I live, you know, uh, they're, they're banning short-term rentals in a lot of areas around here too. So, yeah. you know, that's the kind of market you want to be in where, you know, that's, that's just what it is. And the properties only rent, you know, about two thirds of the year. So you, you could have some time in the fall and winter when it's you know that's the best time to be there you know is yeah the fall. and for any potential yourself. yeah and for any sorry for any potential retirees that may have heard that we, when he mentions martin's point there are different subdivisions in the outer banks that are geared towards local um people and there's not you're not going to have the same type of noise or riffraff so just know that here in the outer banks we have a commitment towards vacation home rental. That's what our economy is. But we also have safe spaces. If you are an elderly person or you're just looking to retire and come here and work from home, we have communities and little subdivisions where there's almost exclusively no um, short-term rentals or vacation rentals. Because that, you know, re remote work and everything, a lot of people are afraid of that type of stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, people don't realize that. So I lived in a neighborhood in Southern Shores um, that you wouldn't have known you were at the beach. And that's what's yeah, really cool yeah. about the Outer Banks. I mean, we lived in an area, we had pine trees, it was wooded. All the houses were traditional, you know, style houses that you would see in any neighborhood anywhere. That's kind of what Martin's point is. And, yeah. and then so you can have that kind of environment where you're where you're back in a year round, what we call year round neighborhood. Uh, yeah. Or you can live, you know, a lot of people live year round in beach houses and they don't mind being surrounded by vacationers in the summer. Uh, yeah. You know, so, you know, there's a lot of different options from a housing standpoint down there. Unfortunately, right now, there's not a whole lot for sale, you know, up and down the beach. I mean, yeah. you know, back in the day, it'd blow your mind. You know, I mean, the average days on market at one point down there was almost six months, you know, for yeah. uh, for the Outer Banks, because it used to be the most unmotivated seller's market you could find anywhere in the country because, yeah. Like we said, the houses are cash flow. And so, hey, you know, sellers will put on the market and say, if I get what I want, great. If not, it's renting and I don't care. So you yeah. used to always have, I mean, at any given time, there were, you know, over a thousand houses on the market on the Outer Banks. And, you know, yeah. from Kerala to Hatteras right now, I don't know, there might not even be 300, you know, if you add the whole beach up. Yeah. And for all my creative finance people out there, uh, Mr. Dickerson says that he's a licensed broker. But um, Mr. Dickerson, can you speak to how in the state of North Carolina, you don't need a broker in transaction? Yeah. You, well, you don't need anywhere. I mean, you can buy and yeah. sell real estate for yourself without a yeah. license pretty much anywhere. Where a license comes in is if you're transacting for others. Yeah. Um, but uh, even a general contractor's license, you can build your own house in North Carolina without a license, but you can't sell it. You can't rent it. You have to live in it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, so you don't need a license. Which I, I just, did. I, I just did got it because it made me a ton of money and saved me a ton of money. And I got it gave me an MLS access. I mean, and I still yeah. did, even, even though I had a license, I would still do deals with agents. So you talk about creative financing. So if an agent brought me a deal that was off market before it hit the market, because they knew I was a buyer, they would bring me these deals. I would do the deal through them and they would and I would pay them a commission. So oh. you know, the only the only reason I used my license was again for me to take advantage yeah. of the MLS and to list my own properties. But if an agent mm -hmm. brought me a deal, not only would I buy it from them through them, I would let them list it as well when I, when I sold it. So mm -hmm. that was an advantage that uh, I had 
you know, where agents will bring me a lot of deals. Yeah. Uh, so with, with a lot of things like Zillow and all different type of third-party platforms, whether it be PropStream or uh, Deal Machine, um, with the MLS access, me personally, I, I just utilize all those other sources, you know, in modern time. Um, so just because something isn't for sale for you consumers out there in the Outer Banks, just know that um, we have ways to get in touch with the homeowner and just ask them. You can just put it out there, you know. Um, there's not a lot of inventory right now, so I don't want to scare away the consumer necessarily. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, you can get off-market deals. You know, I did that mostly with land. I was always mailing and calling, you know, landowners to get land. <laughs> I, I, yeah. <laughs> And I'll tell you, I had deals come back to me. So, I mean, I've had I've had deals come back to me 10 years after I made them an offer on their land. They saved my postcard. They saved my number and they called me back 10 years later and said, hey, you know, you still want to buy my land? And I mean, yeah. that's that's the kind of market that is. I mean, people buy land, they buy houses and they, you know, to them, it's just a long term investment. They just sit on and ultimately at some point they end up selling. But yeah, right now it's a problem everywhere. Inventory is a problem everywhere. You know, it's just it's just, you know everybody's locked into these low interest rates. So there's not a lot of motivated sellers out there, but that that'll change, you know, the market goes in cycles, peaks and valleys. And I've seen three of them, you know, when I moved there in 1997, what, what the boom was all about, that was the dot-com bubble. Everybody mm -hmm. was cashing out of the stock market and coming to the outer banks and buying beach houses, or they were adding, adding on and renovating their beach houses. So that's where I first learned, you know, that, that whole business, I was doing a lot of work for people that, that made a bunch of money in the stock market. Um, and then same thing, you know, we saw the boom up to 2008 and nine, and then we saw, you know, fall off a cliff in 08, 09. We've been in a boom market here from the pandemic. You know, I mean, that was this just the craziest thing everywhere. But that's everywhere. You know, inventory yeah. is an issue in most areas. Yeah. So you're you're a thought leader. Um, you're a huge presence on the Internet. You do market analysis. You do cryptocurrency. You do stocks. You do real estate. Um, can you kind of speak to the changing consumer with um, the Outer Banks model? Because me and some of my friends, we talk about this, how maybe the vacation model, that seven day model, maybe the younger consumer would be maybe not so committed to getting together with 10 other families and renting a beach house. So maybe the model could potentially change in the future here in the Outer Banks. Yeah, we've seen that? it change. And, you know, there. so that's what's interesting. So the Outer Banks, what he's talking about forever was a seven day a week rental. And that's the only option you had. You had to go Saturday to Saturday, Sunday to Sunday. Yeah. Then they started adding Friday changeovers because of the traffic. Um, but over the last number of years, you know, and as Airbnb and VRBO have taken off uh, with, you know, shorter term rentals where you can come down for a weekend or a night or two nights, that's becoming more and more popular, even in big houses. And there's actually a couple of, um, you know, flexible rental companies that have popped up uh, yeah. down there that do flexible rentals, you know, and I think they might have a two or a three day minimum, you know, especially yeah. in the summer, but yeah. And the other thing that 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 we noticed as well that changed over the years was the smaller houses became more profitable in Airbnb than the bigger houses. Because like you said, a lot of people don't want to take a vacation with, you know, five or six or 10 other families. You know, some do. And, you know, that's still a thing. And that's why the big beach houses were so popular, you know, for corporate events, family reunions, retreats, whatever. Um, but there's there are a lot of people that just want to have a private little house. So there's a ton of little beach houses that you know, um, that you can rent three bedrooms, two bedrooms, and just come down, you know, west side, east side, whatever you want, ocean side, sound side, and, you know, that are a little bit cheaper. It's just you and your family. And some people just don't want a hotel, even though there are some hotels and people still, you know, they still do very well. So there's, you know, a little bit of everything for everybody there. But the flexible check-ins is definitely a trend that I'm surprised more rental companies haven't changed that model. Yeah, yeah. 
And so another thing that kind of interests me, I want your input on is house flipping. So here in the Outer Banks, you don't really see much house flipping. Can you kind of speak to why that is? Well, you know, again, it's an inventory thing right now, but, you know, there has been over the years um, a number of people. I mean, I did a few and, you know, but not very many, but it was because there was more land and it was cheaper to just go ahead and buy the land and build a house. It made more sense and there was more margin in it than buying existing houses. But nowadays that's, that's actually a, a good business model because there are a lot of older houses that, uh, that need some work. There's a few on the market down there right now up in, you know, like Kildova Hills that I've been kind of watching and looking at that would be perfect for that. But yeah. You know, that, yeah, it's just not as popular just, you know, again, because of the whole vacation thing, it was harder to make the numbers work, you yeah. know, from that standpoint versus just building something ground up. Yeah. And even still on Hatteras Island, there's, there is a lot of undeveloped land. Yeah. yeah. There's, there's plenty of undeveloped land on Hatteras Island. That's probably got the biggest, you know, inventory of, of vacant land and teardowns. I mean, I used to do a lot of teardowns and, you know, Hatteras yeah. still has a lot of teardowns, but yeah. And, you know, Hatteras is, you know, there's generally more bang for your buck on Hatteras too. There always was yeah. uh, because the land was always cheaper. The houses were always cheaper, but they did more rents and they had a, they had a longer season than the uh, Northern Outer Banks. Yeah. So I, I'm, uh, I live on Hatteras Island. So specifically speaking to that, I've noticed that whereas you, if you are a consumer, if you're looking to invest in the Outer Banks, don't be necessarily afraid of Hatteras. Just understand you're going to have to identify some infrastructural risks that you're going to have a little bit more. But you can get the same rents a lot of times as a house you could get in Nags Head, but you're going to maybe have a lower barrier of entry and a lot less um, maybe just cost on the entry of the deal because Hatteras is a little cheaper than Kitty Hawk, Kilova Hills, Nags Head. Yeah, and it's really cool because you have four different areas, right? So you have Corova, which is the four-wheel drive area, and that's a unique, different experience that a lot of people love it. Some people don't, but it does well, and it's cheaper because it has less demand. Then you have Kerala, which was you know generally a higher-end area where properties were more expensive, had more value, but the rents were about the same. Corova, you had a shorter season. Kerala, you have a shorter season. Then you had the Duck area. You know, Duck was the original you know, exclusive area where properties had the higher values, you know, rents did a lot better. You know, then you have your main beach area from, you know, Southern Shores, Kitty Hawk, Kilova Hills, Nags Head. You know, that's your main area where the bulk of the year-round people live. And, you know, that's where all your commercial districts are and a lot more commercial. There's commercial in Corolla and Duck, um, yeah. nothing up in Corova. Uh, and then you always had Hatteras Island. And Hatteras, you know, you have your little towns, you know, Redanthe, Wave, Salvo, you know, Avon, uh, Frisco, Buxton, you know, um, you know, little communities there, less developed, less commercial, more old school Outer Banks. So a lot of people really like that area because it's more yeah. like the Southern Outer Banks areas in North Carolina, like Topsail Beach, you know, those areas. Um, you know, you've got a little bit of commercial development, but very, you know, not anywhere near what you have up in the Northern beaches. You know, yeah. so a lot of people love Hatteras Island and then there's people that, you know, don't like it. Now for me, you know, I wanted to live in Southern Shores. That was me. That was my hub because, you know, where my kids yeah. went to school and all that. You know, I had three kids that I raised, you know, on the Outer Banks and, and all that. So, you know, that's kind of where we wanted to be. But I spent more time on Hatteras fishing and surfing. And, you know, I'm a <laughs> surfer. That's why I moved to the Outer Banks. I'm a lifelong yeah. surfer. But yeah, you know, I'd always go down there surfing and fishing. So I was there all the time. I just didn't build much there just because the bigger money was Duck North. And that's where I did yeah. the bulk of my building. I met a lot of stuff in Nags Head and, you know, Kilimanjaro Hill, you know, in town. But the bulk of the bigger houses that I built, were up north, although the bulk of the oceanfront were, you know, basically 
Nags Head down into um, and, and Hatteras. I mean, that's where I did the bulk of my oceanfront building. Yeah, so that that's kind of I, I had that same thing as a surfer from Virginia. Um, I I have that same kind of notion, and as I bridge my business more into up the beach, which is what we call the Nags Head, Kitty Hawk, Kill Double Hills, Duck Corolla versus Hatteras Island. Um, I can see how there's, you know, there's different opportunities there. So as my personal business grows, I see that I need to bridge more out into the Outer Banks as a whole. And that may even include, you know, bald head, you know, topsail Wilmington area. Um, yeah. yeah, see, I, I branched out up into Virginia. And here's the thing about real estate. So if you want to be, you know, uh, property type, you know, focused. So if you want to focus on a certain type of property, then you have to expand your geography. So if you want to yeah. be short-term rentals, you know, single family, there's only so much you can do on the Outer Banks. I mean, you can you can really focus there from a building standpoint. There's only so much land, but yeah. you know, you're going to be limited in your geography. So for you, you've got a lot of territory on Hatteras Island. So that's yeah. a good niche. And actually, you know, I'll tell you a little story. I don't know if you know Dan Johnson, um, yeah. you know, with Midget Realty. So Dan yeah. was on Little Hatteras Island. It was just him and an assistant. He was the number one selling agent for years on the Outer Banks <laughs> by 10x. I mean, yeah. he was like killing. He was doing $100 million a year yeah. in sales. Nobody else was even coming close. And he was yeah. nothing but Hatteras Island. That's all he focused on. Yeah. And then there was another one, Debbie Dean, who was up in Corova. She was yeah. always one of the top, you know, one or two. Her and Dan would bounce back and forth. She did nothing but Corova. They yeah. didn't even, you know, you know, didn't just specialize there. So, you know, there's a lot to be said about focusing. And there's a lot of inventory, a lot of opportunity, but you have to broaden the type of asset. So if you want to just yeah. be a builder, you know, there's only so much building to be done on Hatteras, so you have to expand. But if you want to be a builder and renovate and own and do all that, you got plenty of opportunities where you can stay just on Hatteras. You know, but if you want to get into commercial and multifamily, things like that, then yeah, you've you've got to expand and get off the beach and, you know, do that kind of stuff. And that was me. I mean, I even did stuff in Edenton. Wow. Um, I, yeah, I did stuff in Hertford. Um, I did stuff, you know, up in Virginia Beach, all the way up to D.C. So I was doing commercial and just all kinds of other different things, you know, all up and down. But I could have, I could have stayed, you know, just Outer Banks, and you know, the businesses I owned though were all focused on the Outer Banks. So you know, I branched out into that as I went along. But you know, it's it's just it's just all about the opportunity. So if you want to be a multifamily, you know, syndicator, and you want to do 200 units, Class A, B, and C, or you know, Class B and C value add, you have to expand your geography because there's only so many of those in every market. But yes. if you want to do all types of commercial, when well, you can be in one market, you know, as long as the market's big enough and has those opportunities, so. That's kind of how I explain that to people. Yeah. Wow. I do appreciate it, Mr. Dickerson. I think um, I think there's a lot to be said for focusing on your market. And with uh, over a decade here on that Hatteras Island, you know, for anybody who may listen to this, anybody this may reach out to, you can get a hold of me at investobx.com. Um, you can email me at modernequityobx at gmail.com. If you want to get a hold of Mr. Dickerson and hear about all of his education that he has to offer for any potential investors or entrepreneurs, he's an expert in the field, and you can reach him at DickersonInternational.com. Yeah, awesome. Hunter, thanks for having me. It was a joy having you, Mr. Dickerson. I appreciate it.